All right, guys. Whew. Genesis 16, if you would, if you have a copy of God's Word. Uh, I just, I love studying the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. Every time I study, I discover something new. Every time I, I read, I, I find new application. Um, and I, I'm very um, excited about sharing this message with you today because it has just so, so touched and so transformed my heart. And I, I know and believe that it will do the same for you today as we look at this amazing chapter in Genesis chapter uh, 16. So turn there and we'll get started. We've been going through the life of Abraham. Abram at this time, he's, his name has not yet been officially changed to Abraham. But in Genesis chapter 16, we, we have an interesting passage of scripture that, I mean, when you begin to dig into this, as we will here in just a minute, you are going to see how very relevant it is, how very um, applicable it is to you and me today. As the title of the message is, The God Who Hears Me, The God Who Sees Me. The God Who Hears Me, and The God Who Sees Me. You know, if you think about the advent of social media, just how much it has transformed and changed our lives, changed our culture, changed our society. I mean, literally, the way that we communicate now, the way that we get our information now, uh, social media has just completely and radically changed our lives because now what you have if you think about it I think I'm pretty much represent the last generation that did not grow up with the internet and I, there's many times I thank God for that I feel like I, I still had somewhat of a normal childhood guys the kids today they don't have a normal childhood if you think about it that, that they're the identity, the entire identities of especially these young people. Now, of course, we older adults who have adopted this social media culture, we too fall into these same traps. But if you really think about it, you grow up, you're born into a world with TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. And that is how everybody communicates. And not just, not just communicating, you know, uh, virtually. But we have lost so much as far as how to communicate and interact with people intimately and personally in the flesh. In, in, what I say, in, in incarnationally, right? So, so now it's like you can see, you go out to eat and it breaks my heart and you look at the, the table next to you and a family of four sitting there and they're all what? Looking at their phones. Because at the heart of, of why social media is so addictive and it is so successful and it is so attractive to us, it's because what social media offers, it offers a couple of things that we desperately need and desire. We want to be seen and we want to be heard. We just want to be what? We just want to be seen and we want to be heard. And you may be a young person living in the world today, and you may be completely invisible to everybody else in your life. But on that phone, you're somebody. You get followers. You get likes. You have an identity. 
you're seen, and you're heard. That's what today's passage is all about. It's about understanding that long before Twitter, way before TikTok, we have a God and we serve a God and we understand and know a God who is a God who what? Sees us and he hears us. This is a message that we desperately need today as individuals. We need to pass this message on to our young people. Thank God for the young people that are in the house today. You need to hear it. There is a God in heaven who sees you and he hears you. You don't have to have social media to understand that you belong. That's where this passage really, to me, is at, is at, that's what at the heart of this passage today. Now, you never thought that Genesis 16 would have anything to do with TikTok, did you? But that's because God's word is timeless. His word transcends time. His word transcends culture. His word transcends all things because it is forever what? True. God's word is true and relevant, relevant to a generation right now in 2022. So let's jump into Genesis 16 together. I don't, I'm just going to read the chapter and we're going to unpack it and break it down because, I'm, again, I'm so very excited about what God has to share in this passage. Okay, Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go unto my servant, so that it may be that I can obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled from her. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by a spring of water in the desert. The spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that it cannot be numbered for a multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He shall dwell over against all of his kinsmen. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, 
You are a God who sees me. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Or another translation would say, I have seen him who sees me. Therefore, the well there was called Be'er Lahoi Roi, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was, excuse me, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The God who hears me and sees me. There's so many good things we're going to get out of this passage. The first thing I want you to recognize in this passage today is that, and again, if you have a listening guide, some of you may have a bulletin, you like, to, you like to fill in the blanks, they should be up on the screen. But the first thing I want to share with you today is this. When we are, we are most tempted to doubt God and to take matters into our own hands, listen, when we forget that his ways are not our ways and that his timing is always what? His timing is always perfect. Here we have a situation, which what we would call a negative example in the Bible. Just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean you should do it. We can learn from both positive examples and what? And negative examples. And just like the scripture does, time and time again, it does not embellish. It does not paint a rosy picture about every single character in the scriptures. It tells it like it is. Flaws and, and failures and everything. And I appreciate, about, I appreciate that about God's word. It's because even the heroes of our faith, people like Noah, people like Abram, people like David, people that we think of as the greatest men of faith, men and women of faith that we have ever known, they had massive moral failures. Many of them had many, many flaws and made very bad decisions and made many mistakes. And I, I'm comforted by that because guess what? So have I. Anybody else in the boat? Okay. So thankfully we know that God doesn't try to pretend that, that the people that he's using and he's working with are, are imperfect people. This is a negative example because here we have Abram who is called the man of faith. And he and his wife, they are sitting back. They've been waiting now for 10 years for God to deliver on their promise. And they begin to get just a little bit impatient. And you can see that they began to have a moral failure. They began to have a lapse of judgment. They began to waver in their faith. And so they're, they're beginning to doubt. And I think Sarah in particular is beginning to doubt. Because remember, who did God reveal himself to? To Abram, her husband. At this point in time, the Lord had not, that we know of, revealed himself personally to Sarah. So she's getting all her information secondhand from her husband. And so as it is, many times if we're not the one that directly gets the promise from God, we get it from our husband or somebody else, then we can begin to what? To doubt. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe Abraham was confused about something. Maybe he didn't get all the facts straight. I mean, we've been sitting here for 10 years now, and I'm not getting any what? Younger. So they begin to doubt, and they forget that God's ways are not our ways, and they forget that his timing is always what? Always perfect. So one year leads to another. Sarah begins to doubt God's word, 
And if you notice and you pick up on the language, you can sense the, 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 the resentment in her tone is that she even goes as far as blaming who? Blaming the Lord himself. Did you, did you pick up on that? She goes to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Isn't that how it always works? We get a promise from God, we're waiting patiently, and, and we begin to doubt, we begin to waver, and then all of a sudden it's whose fault? God's fault. Pick up on that tone. So she goes as far as saying that, which is basically blaming him for not delivering on his promise. And in a way, Sarah is almost calling God to be a liar. So she's probably second guessing. She's, she's maybe reinterpreting God's word and his promise. And you know what? There's maybe one reason why she's doing this. If you think about it, when the Lord did come to Abram, I'm going to read from Genesis 15 and here in just a second. The Lord revealed himself to Abram. Abram, is, uh, we, we read this last week, and, and, and Abram was like, hey, Lord, will you not give me an heir? Because at this point, they still had no child that they had been promised to bear, a child from his own body. But if you think about it, the Lord told Abram, he says this in, in 15, verse 4. He says, then the word of the Lord came to Abram and saying, this one, Eleazar, he's not going to be your heir, but one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Now, notice that. Maybe Sarah's sitting there thinking, okay. Well, it's been 10 years now, nothing has happened. Maybe what God was saying is that it's going to come from Abram's body, but it, the child's not going to come through who? Through me. Can't you see how you can begin to second guess with that a little bit? I think that's probably part of what's happening here. But there's always more to the story. You see, we begin to, to be tempted to doubt God when he doesn't act the way that we would, that he doesn't do the things the way we would do them, he doesn't run the universe the way that we, run, we would run things. It's really what it comes down to. And then we get especially frustrated when God starts to take longer than we expected and he throws our sense of timing off because doesn't God know, after all, we got a schedule to keep, right? I mean, we have a life to live. we got things to do. We don't have time to be waiting around for God to do his job. We're guilty of that even more so in this culture. Aren't we so bound by our calendars, bound by our schedules? Be careful. It's dangerous because we get caught up in this expectation that God's supposed to do things on our timeline. But he always does things on his own timeline. And we have to trust that his timing is always perfect. It's been said that there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God either says yes, no, or wait. So if you're praying on something right now and, and, and you're in that season, keep waiting. Keep trusting. Keep serving. He'll either say yes, he'll say no, or he may just say you got to wait. You see, he had already given Abram and, and Sarah the promise so he had already said what? Yes. He had already settled that. Yes, you will have a son. He will come from your union, your marriage union. He will come from your own body, not some heir, not some servant in your household, your own biological flesh and blood son. He had already said yes. And so they were just now having to what? Wait. And, and let's just be honest, that's, that's the hardest part. Having to wait on the Lord. And so if we're not careful, what happens is 
over time, as we're waiting, we start taking our eyes off God. We stop listening to God. We, stop, we start putting our eyes on the circumstances that are around us. Then that leads to, to little, little seeds of doubt that start to get planted in our heart. Then we become a little bit frustrated. Then we become a little bit more impatient. And then we become very vulnerable. And when we're at a place of vulnerability and our faith is beginning to waver, guess who likes to step right in there? It's the devil, the enemy. Pick up on this. Look at what it says in verse 2. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Does that sound familiar? Can you think about somebody else, maybe a few generations before Abram, who also listened to the voice of his wife? Think about the garden, right? Adam and Eve. Who was whispering in Eve's ear? The serpent. The devil. You see, to listen to someone in this context is to, to heed their voice, to, to heed somebody's. It's not just, it's not just passively listening. Is that when you, when you understand what, what it's talking about here, when he listened to the voice of Sarah, he did what she said. He obeyed. So when we listen to the voice of God, we should what? We should obey. That means listening is not passive, it's active. It produces some type of action in response to the voice of God and to the word of God. And so we see this pattern already established. If you think about Genesis chapter 3, listen to the, what the Lord said to Eve. He said, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband and he will rule over you. And then Adam, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Can't you just hear the devil's voice in this whole situation? Think about it. Sarah, Sarah, 10 years, she's waiting. I mean, 10 years, let's, just, let's give her a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. That's a long time. But you can just hear the, the devil starting to whisper. God's been lying to you. Has God really said that you're going to have a son? Obviously, it's not going to happen, Sarah. You're too old. You're a barren woman. Your husband deserves better. You're worthless to him. God can't use you. You need to do something about it, Sarah. I know. What about her? What about Hagar? Yes, Hagar, yes. You can just hear him whispering into her ear. She's young. She's fertile. This is your chance, Sarah, to save face. This is your chance to contribute something to this family. What are you waiting for? What about Hagar? Can't you see? I mean, I can hear the devil's voice all over this passage of Scripture. 
And through that temptation, yes, Sarah begins to waver in her faith. She is being deceived and being tempted by the devil. And then she turns around and says the very same thing to her husband. And at this point, Abram's like, okay, that, let's, just, let's just do it. And so that shows that even Abram was beginning to waver in his own faith. But instead of him standing on the promises of God, believing that God was going to deliver on the word that he had told him, listening to the voice of God, he listened to the voice of his wife, Sarah. And by extension, he listened to the voice of who? Of the devil himself. I'm not, I'm not here to blame Eve for all the problems in the world. I'm not here to blame Sarah for all the problems in the world. Do you know that every single one of us has been used by the devil? Every one of us. Every single one of us has said things, done things, under the temptation of the devil, given in to that, and been used by him. So it, it could happen to any of us, and it does if we're not careful. Now, Hagar was probably someone that Sarah and Abram picked up along the way. Remember, if you remember the famine in the land, Abram goes down into Egypt. The Pharaoh tries to take Sarah as his wife. God sends plagues on Egypt because this isn't supposed to be happening. And, and Pharaoh's like, hey, man, I wish you would have told me the truth because I need you to get out of here. And as a matter of fact, as you go, I'm going to give you a bunch of possessions and gold and, and servants, and you just take them and go, get out of here. So Abram had a massive household. He probably had somewhere around 1,000 to 1,500 people. He's like a small city traveling throughout the promised land. This is not like just about 20 people, y'all. Because remember, when he went to rescue Lot, he had 318 trained soldiers in his, in his household. That's just the trained men. So he probably had hundreds of more men, women, and children. So Hagar was likely one of the people that they picked up as a maidservant in Egypt because we know she was an Egyptian. And so now she must have found her way as a, in a valued position, a trusted position to Sarah. I mean, she's probably her right-hand man. She's her closest maidservant or her most valued maidservant. And so as it was in ancient times, there was a custom where if you were barren and you just could not produce children or offspring, it was a common practice. It doesn't mean that it was the right thing to do, but this is what common practice was. Again, it's just because it's described in the Bible doesn't mean God wants us to do it. Okay? But they would take a maidservant or somebody in the household and they would serve the wife as a surrogate mother. And they basically the understanding was this. You're going to have a child through my husband for me, and when that child is born, they belong to who? They belong to me. It's not your child. I raise the child. They become my child. Okay? So I, I, I do think it's debatable at this point whether or not Hagar had much of a choice in this situation. Now, ultimately, did she have a choice? I think she did. I think she could have said what? She could have said no. Now, highly unlikely, again, in that culture she was serving uh, Abram, she was like a, a a paid employee, basically. That's what these, it's an indentured servant, okay? So she maybe didn't have much of a choice. Her life would have been probably very difficult had she not done this. But there is also another possibility. There may have been something in Hagar that wanted to do this. We don't know. Because if you think about it, she, her status immediately goes from maidservant to now the mother of Abram's 
son. Pretty big jump in social status. So there may have been advantages for Hagar to do this as well. We don't know. I'm not accusing her of that. But I do have sympathy for her because of the situation that she was in. But the biggest thing we have to understand is that both Sarah and Abram compromised And they had a moment of weakness, they had wavered in their faith, and they tried to take matters into their own hands, which number two leads to the next thing. Sin always yields painful consequences, and it always damages our most valued relationships. At the end of the day, what they did, all of them, I hold primarily Abram, his wife Sarah, and to some extent Hagar, All of them participated in something that was not pleasing to the Lord. What's the definition of something that is not pleasing to God? It's sin. They sinned. And so what we see here is that this is part of what we call God's permissive will. Was it the will of God for them to take Hagar and to have this son Ishmael born? Well, in one sense, it was God's permissive will because he allowed it to what? But it was whose choices? Their choices. I don't think this was part of God's perfect will. I don't think he necessarily wanted this to happen, okay? But he allowed it to happen because at the end of the day, guys, we are free moral agents. We make what? We make choices, and God lets us make those choices, and then he's going to take whatever choices that we make, and he's still going to try to work out his perfect will through that. Even though he would have rather them do it the right way to begin with, he's like, okay, they're making a bad choice. i gotta, I got to get this thing worked out. So that's what's happening here, okay? But regardless of the choices that they made, here's the thing. They immediately had to face the consequences. What does sin always do? It causes strife. It breeds contempt. It creates conflict in relationships. The Bible says the fruit of sin is anger, bitterness, uh, malice, resentment, envy, hatred, and fear. This family was experiencing all of that. Overnight, Abram went from probably having a relatively peaceful and joyful household till a dysfunctional mess overnight. It was terrible. Hagar, once she conceives, she begins to feel a sense of superiority over her mistress, Sarah. It says she started to look at Sarah with contempt. In other words, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm the one that's got the heir. I'm the one that's bearing the son. I'm the one that brought a child into the world for Abram. So I do think Hagar probably started to rub it in her face a little bit, probably tried to hold it over her head a little bit, and you know the minute that happened, Sarah wasn't having it, and there was envy and jealousy. You know there's a difference, right? Envy is when you want something that you don't have and that you've never had before. You want a million-dollar house? Never had that before. Somebody else has it, your neighbor has it, you're going to be what? Envious of them. Jealousy is when you have a strong sense of desire for something that you once had before. So Sarah is jealous, she's envious of Hagar because she's having a child that she could never have, so she's envious, but she's also jealous because Hagar has had her husband. 
and she's jealous for her husband now who went into this illicit relationship with her maidservant. So she's having all this inner turmoil. And so now Hagar is probably rubbing it in her face. And this led to what's called, what I call, the, the shame and blame game. The shame and blame game. We saw it in the garden, right? Well, who told you to eat the fruit? Oh, well, uh, the serpent. Well, first the Lord came to Adam. Adam, what happened? Why'd you do this? Oh, it was the what? It's the wife you gave me, right? It's her fault. Oh, well, then he goes to, to Eve. Eve, what'd you do? Why'd you do that? Why'd you disobey my command? Oh, it was the who? It was the serpent, right? We just keep trying to shift the blame down the hill, and that's not the way that it works. Nobody's wanting to take responsibility. So Hagar blamed Sarai. Sarai blamed Hagar, Abram, and God. Abram blamed Hagar and Sarai. And so this left her in an unprotected, in the vigil, vengeful hand of Sarah. So now you have this dysfunctional, disastrous family dynamic, and it got so bad. And listen, you can imagine how difficult it got, but let me just break it down to you in modern term. It got so bad, and Sarai was probably so in such a spirit of bitterness that finally Abram just said, look, just do whatever you want to with the girl, but leave me alone. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I don't care what you do with Hagar. Just, I'm tired of hearing about it. Do whatever you want. Leave me alone. That's probably where Abram got. You can just hear it. You can see how he would get to that point. And so Sarah ruthlessly treat, mistreats her to the point where she what? She runs away. Did you know the name Hagar has a, the meaning of the name Hagar comes from a word to flee? Or to fear. So even though she was guilty of gloating over Sarah, this was really, as I said before, this was not entirely her fault, and she certainly didn't deserve to be cut off from the family. But you know what? That's what sin does, right? It separates. It cuts us off. It causes all this pain. Thank God he doesn't leave us there. Your next point is verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the desert. So despite our bad choices, God is full of mercy and compassion. And he, listen, this is what's so important about this. He comes to find us. He seeks us. He comes to comfort us in our most desperate times of need. Guys, I think you need to draw comfort today knowing that God is still willing to work with you. He's still willing to use you. He still is willing to give you another chance even though you have blown it. Even though you have made maybe the worst mistake of your life or maybe somebody has made, done something terrible to you. Either way, whether you're responsible for it or not, or you've had a major failure or a flaw or whatever, God is still willing to use us even and in spite of our failures. I want you to think about what Hagar's doing. So, so if, you, if you know anything about the Holy Lamb, they're somewhere in probably the southern part of Canaan, which is what now is the land of Israel. She's trying to get back to Egypt because, remember, that's her home. So she's on the run. She's pregnant. She's by herself, and she's traveling a very dangerous, very harsh terrain. She's out in the middle of the desert. And, guys, I'm going to tell you what. She probably was getting to the point where she said, you know what? I'm not going to make it. I'm probably going to die out here all alone in this desert. 
Have you ever been in that desert place? Have you ever been in that place where it was dry and dark and dangerous and you felt all alone? Isn't that amazing that that's where God comes to what? He comes to meet us right there at that point. At her lowest point, scared, alone, helpless, hopeless. She needs somebody to save her because she can't save herself. She's never needed anything more in her life. And it is right there at that point where the Lord seeks her out. And the Lord reveals himself to her in a personal way. And he shows Hagar mercy and compassion and he comforts her. Hey, that's the God that we serve. That's the God. That's who God truly is. Let me tell you something. I've said this so many times. I'm going to say it again. There is a false dichotomy that we have grown up believing in the, in the Christian church that the God of the Old Testament is some vengeful, wrathful dictator, wicked tyrant king who just wants to make our lives miserable. And then Jesus had to come along to straighten all that out full of love and grace and peace and mercy. And all. That is a lie. God has always and forever will be merciful and gracious and compassionate. That is who God is. He's always been that way. There is no distinction between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. There is one God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take it just a second to read to you from the quote-unquote Old Testament, which I don't even like to use that term because I think it's a misnomer. But nonetheless, I want, you to read, I want to read to you from Psalm 103. Listen to this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Do not forget his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that you are renewed like the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are Oppressed, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That is the God that we serve, full of grace and full of mercy. Now, let's talk real quickly about the angel of the Lord. This is the first time that we meet the angel of the Lord in Scripture. This is no ordinary angel, it's not an angel. It's what? The angel. Okay? And I don't have a whole lot of time to go into all of the details, but I just want to give you a couple of examples about who is this angel of the Lord. Now, I want you to see something real quick. First of all, when the angel of the Lord comes to her, he's, he's talking to her. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, I will multiply your offspring so that they will not be numbered for a multitude. So he's speaking to Hagar as if he is the one who is going to bless and multiply her offspring. Who, who is that? Who can only do that? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And he's, he's talking to her in ways that only God can communicate to her. And this angel showed up, he, has shown, he shows up time and time and time again in the scriptures. I'm going to give you a couple of examples and then I've got to move on. He showed up to Abram. Abraham later, when Abraham took Isaac up on Mount Moriah to sacrifice him, it says the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. 
So the angel of the Lord tells Abraham, I believe you that you have really uh, proven yourself because you did not withhold Isaac from who? From me. Well, who was the one that told him to do it to begin with? It was God. So now you're saying, okay, is the angel of the Lord, is he God? He, he talks about God in, in a different, as a different person, but then he, talks, he addresses himself as God. You begin to say, who is this character? Jacob, he knew the angel. He says, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless my boys. Moses saw the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. The Lord talked to Moses out of the bush. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Who is he talking to? The angel of the Lord. So this angel of the Lord, on one hand, he's different. He's distinct from God the Father. But on the other hand, he speaks as God, he acts as God, and he is worshipped and revered. And he's identified as God, just like Hagar. She calls this angel who? God. He is the one who sees me. He is the one who knows me. That's what Hagar says. You are a God of seeing. So who is this angel of the Lord? Well, the Bible says, and I've shared this before, but I want to be clear. He says, the Bible says that God the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The Bible says that Jesus is the word become flesh who took on human form. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the one who told Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So basically what we have here is that the angel of the Lord is none other than God the Son in physical human form coming to Hagar to meet her at her greatest time of need. So now you think about it, just put Jesus in the scripture. Then Jesus, the son of God, found Hagar by a spring of water in the desert. Now remember, Jesus hasn't been born yet. He hasn't been, uh, he hasn't fully taken on human form in the incarnation but yet he's still showing up time and time again throughout the scriptures, revealing himself to people in physical, visible form. This is the Son of God showing himself to Hagar, coming to the, a scandalous woman, meeting her at her greatest time of need by a well in the desert. Does that sound familiar? Can you remember another time when Jesus met a woman by a well? A scandalous woman who'd been married five times and was living with the next man that she was with? The Samaritan woman by the well. See, guys, these things are intentional. This is the same Jesus who met Hagar to comfort her in her greatest time of need. He shows up in Samaria to meet this woman by the well so that he can offer her springs of water. Living water. He's saying, if you only knew what I could give you, you will have springs of living water that will well up with inside of you and you will always be satisfied. And that day, the Samaritan woman by the well, she was saved. She believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she went around telling everybody that she could about this man, the Messiah, who had come. She found new life by coming to Jesus, by, by Jesus coming to her in the same way that Hagar found new life at her greatest time of need. The same Jesus. And, as, and the last thing I want to share with you today 
is that our God hears us when we cry out to him. He sees us when we feel invisible to the rest of the world. Now listen, listen to this. Knowing us better than anyone, yet still loving us more than everyone. Think about that. The kind of a God that we serve is a God that he sees us, he cares about us, he has compassion for us, he hears us, he knows us, and he not only knows us, but he knows everything about you. All the good and all the what? All the bad. Every thought that you're thinking right now, why is this preacher preaching too long, man? I got an appointment here in about 10 minutes, and he's going to be going over time again. God knows every thought. Every motivation, every deed that you've ever done, he knows you. Now listen, if that in and of itself wasn't enough to to get our attention, at the same time, even though he knows us more than anybody, better than anybody, he loves us more than anybody could. Now that right there, I can't understand. You would think the one that knows us more than anybody else would be like, man, I don't know about that guy. I don't think I can be, I don't think I can hang out with him. He's just a little bit too more, too far out there, right? I don't know about Hagar. She shouldn't be out here in the desert. She shouldn't have done what she did. She's pregnant. She's out here all alone. She made her choice. Man, that's just that's too much of a scandal for me. Is that is that the way that God deals with us? Absolutely not. Thank you, Lord. Hey guys, when it comes down to it, all of us. All any of us really needs, all any of us really wants is to know that we belong, that our life matters, that our life counts for something, that, we ha- that we're seen and that we're heard and that we're not ignored and we're not neglected. Now, I want to tell you something. Neglect and indifference are the very worst forms of abuse. Did you know that? The people who suffer from the most trauma and abuse are not the people who are being physically abused. As bad as that is, do you know what's worse? Completely what? Neglected. Because a child, for instance, that is neglected and, that, and, and is treated with indifference, do you know what that communicates to that child? You're dead to me. I don't even care if you ever even what? Existed. At least if somebody's getting physically abused, at least you're getting some kind of what? Attention. It's negative attention. It's not good attention, but it's what? It's attention. But when you cut somebody off, and let me just say this to somebody in this room today. Have you cut somebody off in your family or relationship? Just cut them off. You're dead to me. Now, I understand. I've talked about this before. I know there are times when we've tried to help somebody for too long. They just won't respond. And there comes a time when we do have to draw healthy what? Healthy boundaries. I understand that. But I I think that we got to be very, very careful not to treat people with complete indifference or neglect. Because when you do that, guys, you're sending a message. I don't even really care if you even exist. It's a very dangerous place for us to be. And many of you have felt that pain. Some of you may be feeling that pain right now. And let me tell you something. There's an entire generation right now who is just begging, begging for what? Attention. And generation 
What, what is this generation called now? Gen Z? Gen Z? Let me tell you something. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who hears you when you cry. There's a God who sees you and watches over you. He knows everything about you, and he loves you more than anybody ever could. That the creator of the universe wants to have a relationship with who? With you. That makes you worth something. That makes you special. That makes you somebody that belongs, that has value, that has worth. Guys, this is the good news of the gospel. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows you even better than you know yourself. You think that's possible? He knows you even better than you know yourself, but he loves you more than anybody else. That is true love. That's called unconditional love. That's God-like love. He loves us in spite of who we are. And then for those of us who are in a relationship with him, he then he, he cultivates this relationship where he, he promises to look after us to care for us, to protect us, to provide for us, to watch over us, to bless and comfort us, to shower us with good things and love and all of these good gifts that he wants to give us. There's a little, a little magnet on our refrigerator, and Jordan did it when he was probably, I don't know, probably six or seven years old. It was for Mother's Day. You know, you've seen them before. It's like a picture and it's like, I love my mom because, and it never hit me really till I did this message. You know what his answer was? Because she looks after me. That's what this is about. I love my mom because she looks after me. You know what that, that message is? He felt seen. He felt heard. He felt loved because he has an awesome mother who looks after her children. And we have an amazing heavenly father who what? He looks after his children. Guys, that is what we need to remember. And parents, if you have that kid, let me tell you something. If I could go back, I have so many regrets as a father. How many times did you hear that child, that son or that daughter, and you're busy and you're doing something at home or you're caught up in something, and they come to you and they say, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad, look at me. Watch this. Okay, okay, buddy. I know, I know. Anybody ever done that before? Hey, parents, stop what you're doing and do what? Look at them. Watch them. Celebrate with them. Send the message to those children that they are what? They are being seen and they are being what? Heard. Guys, I can't express that enough because we never get that time back because you know what happens over time? As those kids get older, they stop saying what? Mom, Dad, look at me. You know what? They shut the door and they say, leave me what? Leave me alone. It's too late then. We cannot miss these opportunities, guys. And so if you're ever dealing with those kids, there are so many kids today deprived of attention. They're deprived of real affection. They may be children in your household. They may be children in your schools. They may be children in this church. But we have a responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ. And let me just tell you, in general, we have a responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ to stop and listen to people and look them in their what? In their eyes. You cannot look at somebody in their eyes with your head down. 
We need to re-engage with individuals on a personal level. Ask them their name. Really listen. Have the presence of mind to put away whatever it is. I'm guilty of this. I know. I can be distracted. I can be thinking about the next thing. It's not about the next thing. It's about that person right then, right then. That should be the only person in the world for that moment that is there for you, that's important to you. That's what we're called to do as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I was going to go into more detail about Ishmael. I'm not going to do that today, but I do want to bring up one interesting, interesting thing about Ishmael. Ishmael, the name Ishmael means God hears. It's where we get the Shema. Anybody ever heard of the Shema? You ought to. Deuteronomy 6, it's the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, Shema, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, with all your strength. What did Jesus say? This is the what? Greatest commandment. In the name of Ishmael is the greatest what? Commandment. Shema. Hear, O Israel. Guys, there is a revival breaking out right now among the people in the Arab world. You see, Ishmael is the patriarch of the Arab people. The Arab people have descended from Ishmael and they have settled there in the Middle East and they have traditionally been pagan until about 600 AD when they embraced a religion called Islam. And yes, when I look at some of the generalities of the, of the fight, the infighting and, and other struggles of the people of Islam, it does seem that God had a little bit of a prophecy when he said what kind of a person Ishmael would be. If you just see this, you got you to hear it. He shall be a wild, wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him, and he will dwell and be at odds with his own brothers. Now, I'm not saying that as a stereotype for every Arab person. That's not what I'm saying. But when you see a lot of these young Arabs who have embraced Islam and they believe in jihad and they believe in this holy war, it creates tremendous amount of infighting, conflict, and war. So I don't think there's a mistake that the descendants of Ishmael have become in many ways in a fulfillment of what God has shown us here in Genesis 16. Having said that, what I need you to understand is that there is an amazing revival breaking out right now in our life today, in our world today, among the Arab people. And they are, now remember, Ishmael was considered an illegitimate son. The, the son of promise was Isaac. We're going to see that next week. But what you don't understand or what you need to understand is that there's another son of promise. His name is Jesus. And by faith in Jesus, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, Arab, whatever, that you can become a child of Abraham. You can become a legitimate son of God. You can become a legitimate child of Abraham. And we're seeing this happen all over the world today. And you know how God is primarily getting the gospel message to the people of these Arab countries that are very oppressed countries, by the way, most of them. 
He's coming to them in dreams and visions. And they're like, who is this man that's come to me and telling me that he died for my sins? And they're getting saved. You know, there's another way that the gospel is getting to the people of the Arab world. It's through ministries like Trans World Radio that our church supports as they send airwaves, they send radio broadcasts into these Arab world, into these Arab countries in their language so that they can hear about the God who hears them and the God who feeds them. That's good news. I could get into so much more about that, but I'm, I'm going to ask... Uh, I'm going to ask Dion to come on up. We're going we're gonna to sing one more song. But I just want to share this last thing, guys. And this, this is my word of encouragement to you, okay? Some of you here are running. You're running. You might be here today. And some people that are watching from home, maybe you're running. And you've been running for a long time. And I want to just encourage you today, no matter how, now remember, if you don't feel, if you don't see the hand of God at work, you can still trust the what? The heart of God. So some of you, I've talked to a lot of people, especially in these days, there's very difficult times that we're living in, and this is what they say, I just don't feel God anymore. It's almost like, it's almost like he's abandoned me. Hey guys, listen to me. God doesn't move. Who does? We do. So if you don't feel the presence of God, if you don't feel near and dear and close to God right now, it's not because he's moved. It's because you're what? You're running. And my encouragement to you today, no matter where you are, where you've been, no matter how far you've run, you can stop and turn today. You can turn around and there is going to be one waiting for you, who sees you, who hears you, he knows you, and guess what? He loves you. He loves you, and he's ready to bring you back. That's the good news of the gospel. So I'm gonna, we're going to sing a song that is a very powerful song, and I just want you to uh, let God just, just fill your heart today. No matter where you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what mistakes that you've made, let the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comforts you today, knowing that, that he knows you better than anybody, but he still loves you, that even though while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Think about that. And no matter what it is that you're dealing with, know that God still wants to have that relationship with you, and all you got to do is stop running and turn to him, and he's going to be there for you. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you that you see us, you know us, you hear us when we cry. You comfort us when we need you. And Lord, even though you know us better than anybody, you love us more than anybody. And I'm just so grateful that you are so merciful, so gracious, so compassionate, and forever faithful. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.